Hello, I'm Peter King. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast, where I'll bring you the biggest influencers and the biggest stories in pro football and in a few other sports. This week, Christopher Mad Dog Russo, host of the Mad Dog Unleashed radio show on Sirius XM Radio, and also the host of High Heat on MLB Network. And I've known Chris for a long time, going back to his early WFAN days. So this is going to be a fun conversation about old times and new. But before we get to Chris, so as many of you know who frequent this podcast and who read me for a long time at Sports Illustrated and at the MMQB, I've had a life change. I've had a a job change. On May 4th, I announced that uh, I was leaving the MMQB and Sports Illustrated after 29 great years at the magazine to move to NBC, where I will write my column, uh, my Monday column. It won't be called Monday Morning Quarterback anymore. That's going to stay with the folks at the MMQB and Sports Illustrated. But I'll have a regular Monday column starting July 16th. At NBC Sports, I'll also do some features, which I have been doing for the Sunday night uh, football pregame show, Football Night in America. And for many of you podcast fans, I'll continue doing this podcast. It's just going to have a little bit of a different name. As you heard at the top, we are now the Peter King Podcast. So I wanted to tell you a little bit about my decision for those who don't know it. And for those who maybe are not readers of my column, but just simply people who enjoy NFL talk here and listen to the podcast. But, you know, over the last five years, uh, I've been a boss at the MMQB. I founded this site in 2013, and I really, really enjoyed it. I'm indebted to Sports Illustrated forever to give me the opportunity to hire my staff and to sort of be a boss for the first time in my life. And over five years, it was extremely rewarding to build this site, to do a lot of great, new, innovative things at the MMQB. But I think there's probably three things that led to me making this decision. Number one, uh, the average age of the nine full and part-time writers at the MMQB uh, is 30 years old. And for as long as I have been there, I was going to be, and and I have been, sort of the big kahuna. And these people who are are still there, Jenny Varentis and Robert Klemko, who've been there the longest, and, and many others, they're ready to do all of the things that I have been doing. So I really felt like the fair thing was going forward to allow them to have the ability to shine and to do a lot of the things that I have been doing. That's number one. Number two, the fact is that the business of covering pro football has become a 12-month venture. When I started in this business, basically after the draft, maybe I would get one or two stories assigned before training camp started, but I'd be able to take not only my vacation, but I'd be able to work on my own schedule and not have to work, you know, six days a week and and all that. Well, when you have your own website and you're covering the NFL 52 weeks a year, you just can't 
you can't get to the draft and say, well, I'll see you on July 20th for training camps. So that over the last year or so has really started to wear on me to the point where this year, I quite honestly, I was, I was dreading some of the projects that are great projects that the MMQB is going to do. And it's just not something along with, you know, covering the news of the day, you know, the anthem protests and the Trump and, and, and everything, um, that it just sort of got to me. I'm 60 years old. I just turned 61, in fact, but I made my decision when I was 60. And I just said, I just don't know that I want to continue working at the breakneck pace uh, that I had been working over the last five years. I think number three, there's another issue here that is very much a personal issue. And that is that for years, you know, my wife and, and my, my two daughters, who now are both grown and gone, had to conform to my schedule at all times and had to do what I wanted to do at all times. And it was all incumbent and all sort of based on me. And, you know, after you do that for, you know, about 37, 38 years, I think just in fairness to my family, particularly to my wife, you know, I think it's fair that basically I work less. And so that was a lot of what this was about. Uh, not to mention the fact that the three men uh, other than me in the King family, my father and my two brothers, all were dead by age 65. So if you were in a family and you have people in your family, siblings, parents who died young, and look, 64 is not young. That's when my father died, and he was a heavy smoker, so which I'm not. So it, it's, it's a different story, and, and everybody's story is different. But I just started to think, you know, my two brothers never really saw their retirement. You know, my father never really saw his retirement. I mean, he was sick by the time he retired. So, you know, I just decided that, um, you know, if I'm, if I'm in my 60s, it's probably time to take the, the foot off the gas pedal just a little bit. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm going to bring any less energy to this podcast or any less energy to my job. It's just that I'm going to have a little bit less to do in my job. I'm not going to be editing people's stories, which I didn't do a lot of. The editors on our staff are tremendous. So I didn't do a lot of that. But you know, there's sort of the weight of being a boss and of trying to decide what you, you're going to do and what your projects are. And then basically what you're going to do for the, the 10 weeks between, you know, the draft and when you're getting ready for training camp. So it's just a little bit of uh, a better life and a better lifestyle for me. And we'll see how it goes. Who knows? A year from now, I might miss the constant grind. I doubt it. <laughs> but I might miss the constant grind. Anyway, I want to get to my conversation with Chris Mad Dog Russo, uh, a longtime friend of mine. Uh, but I, I also just want to end this by saying that I really appreciate all of the the texts, the notes on Twitter, the questions on Twitter. Hey, are you going to continue your podcast? And I am going to continue the podcast. And this year, I'm really looking forward to it. I talked to the one of the big podcast experts in our field, Chris Corcoran, who runs Cadence 13, and we had a conversation about the possibility of doing more stories 
rather than just doing conversations every week. I'm still going to do conversations with the big people in the NFL. You've heard them here, Roger Goodell, Tom Brady. Uh, you know, you've heard these conversations and you've heard, you know, some, a lot of fun ones over the last two years. But I want to expand this and I want to do some stories. I'm a big fan of other uh, podcasts and other radio. I'm a big, big radio fan. I listen to NPR a lot. I listen most of the day Saturday to like Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me and the Moth Radio Hour and things like that. And I'm, uh, I want to expand this to be more than just football conversations. I'm going to try to tell you some football stories this year, as well as covering some games, which I had a ball doing that last year, covering games and putting out podcasts five hours after the game ends uh, with the help of, of my right-hand man at Cadence, Bob Tabador. We've uh, had a lot of fun putting together you know, last year we did uh, the Chiefs and the Patriots and the Steelers and the Patriots and the Eagles versus Washington. We did these deadline podcasts, which were so much fun for me to do. So we're going to continue to do a lot of different things. Love to hear your feedback. Please let me know what that is. And I hope that we have a great, great year. I know that that I'm excited about some of the things that we're planning to do here at the podcast. But for now, let's get into our conversation with Chris Mad Dog Russo. Joined today, fortunate to be joined by Chris Russo, a longtime friend of mine. Now, as many of you who live in greater New York know... Uh, Chris, for 19 years, he and Mike Francesa did the Mike and the Mad Dog radio show on WFAN in New York. But Chris then branched out. Uh, he now headlines Sirius XM's Mad Dog Sports Radio channel. Uh, you're in uh, almost, you've finished a decade doing that, Chris, uh, this, right? this summer, Peter, and great yeah, to be here. This summer was my 10th year, and I made that phone call to you. I said, Pete, what do you think of this decision, if you remember correctly, <laughs> yeah, do, from the yeah. Jersey Shore? Go ahead. I do remember. <laughs> All right, so you do the Mad Dog Unleashed uh, radio show every weekday from 3 to 6 p.m. You also host High Heat with Christopher Russo weekday afternoons, 1 o'clock Eastern on MLB Network. Um, as we tape this, you have just finished with that. And Chris, I really appreciate you doing this. And I, I want to start by asking you about what I consider to be your first love. And that is baseball. I mean, I, I, because I really, really am fond of baseball and I wonder what is it about baseball that got in your blood at a very young age? Well, you know, I was a huge, my father was a huge Yankee fan. So, and me being the only child. You grew up on Long Island. On Long Island. And yeah. my father was a huge Yankee fan. You know, his father uh, used to take him to the old Yankee Stadium, sit in the bleachers to watch DiMaggio. He was at the Mickey Owen pass ball game, which wow. I didn't know until late in his life. He was at uh, DiMaggio and he kicked the bag when Gianfrido made the great catch out yeah. in the field. He was at that game. He was at the Koufax striking out 15 Yankees in 63. So this is a legendary wow. Yankee fan. For him, his own head, a big time Yankee fan. Now, I re 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 uh, rebelled against that. You know me. I had to do. I had to be a contrarian. So How I many had a, boys in your family? I'm the only child. Wow. So I had to find another That's team. That's difficult it, to, very to revolt against and your I father. And I did. And he took me to games, but I just I couldn't get into it. To make a long story short, he was a jewelry salesman. So in 1968, he sent me, we went to 
in August, the Philadelphia Hilton, because the jewelry, there's a jewelry show twice a year where all the manufacturers show their jewelry to progress to potential stores. And that August, it was in Philly. Lo and behold, the Giants <laughs> were staying at the same hotel wow. as the jewelry show. Yeah. So I was eight years old. This is the summer of 68. I was the eight years old. And that four-day period, and they, it was a weekend series against the Phillies at Old Connie Mack Stadium, I would run downstairs and get all the giant autographs. And the only guy who wouldn't sign was Mays. McCovey, McCormick, Bill Mumble, Kent, you name it. So I became a huge giant fan. What was the story with Willie Mays? You know, he ran out. He had his car service there. He just ran out. He just never, you know, he didn't really linger in the lobby. You know how it is. You linger in the lobby. And that was also Bobby Bonds' first year in the big leagues. He played 81 games, 80 of them in the outfield and won a shortstop. So I became a big Bobby Bonds fan. Now, ironically enough, during that same weekend, the Packers, who had won the 67 championship, played the college football all-star game. In Chicago, it was one of the last years they ever did it. You know, the defending champions played the College Football yeah, All-Stars. remember that. And they played that particular weekend. So on the same weekend as an eight-year-old, I was, I saw, I know I love the Packers in 67, but I had the Packers in that College Football All-Star game and the Giants playing the Phillies in baseball. And that essentially- Wait a minute, wait a minute. How does the football have to do with I it? I don't know. I just remember it was that okay, same weekend. Okay, you watched weekend. it on TV? Yeah, I must have yeah. watched it on TV. Yeah. And I remember the championship game the year before that because I was a big Packer fan, and they lost in 67. The la- I was seven years old. Eight. Just turned eight. They lost the last regular season game of the year. They lost the Rams on a block punt. 27-24. Rams had to have the game to win the AF, the, the in those days, the division with the, the Colts. The Western Division. Right, the yeah. Western Division. I went carried on like you wouldn't believe. I went nuts. My parents would not let me watch the playoff game <laughs> against the Rams in which the Packers won 28-7. Remember that? Yeah. Two weeks later, they played the Rams in the yeah. Western Division playoff. And then a week after that, they played the Ice Bowl. Yeah, wow. And I remember that period well. Did but you, the, wait a minute. I remember the ice ball. Did you watch the ice ball? Yeah, I remember it. Okay, you got off probation to be able yeah, to watch the, the ice ball. Be, I, I missed the Ram playoff game when yeah. Travis Williams went crazy. But I did watch <laughs> the ice ball the, the New Year's Eve of 68. That yeah. was a New Year's Eve game. Now, I have since picked up all the nuances of the game since. I can't remember every specific play. But I the famous play in the ice ball that I never forget, and I remembered at the time, was Chuck Morsine sliding on the ice. You and I are the same age. Yeah, I remember Marcin that. sliding on the ice to the left side. So yeah. I had the Packers and the Giants. That was my introduction to sports in 68. Yeah. Um, How did you, you know, I always marvel at the way you do radio because you have a strong opinion on almost everything. I find it impossible to have a strong opinion about almost everything. I can have a strong opinion about one in 10 things, but not everything because I think there are two sides to every story. You have no problem whatsoever with taking a strong side. Why? Well, I think that's what a good radio talk show host has to do. You know, I mean, it can be controversial. Uh, if it involves you and I have debated this, the Redskin team name, you've yeah. had some fun with, we've done that. Have fun may be the wrong word, but we've done that. <laughs> you know, you just can't, you got to be confident. Now, there, in this day and age, you got to be careful. As you know better than anybody, you got to be careful. But as far as the actual 
team scenario goes, that to me is easy. I mean, you know, whether he should throw the ball, pass the ball, uh, you know, take a pitcher out, leave a pitcher in, you know, uh, whether LeBron should have shot that shot. Or I mean, you can do it in sports pretty easily if you're having a strong opinion about it. And you could be wrong, but you, if you feel like you have a good feel, just go out there and do it. It's the other issues outside the game that you got to be a little careful about because you could take a stand that somebody will find uh, that, uh, offensive. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But when you analyze a game, there's nothing offensive about analyzing a game. You and I might differ about, you know, Belichick going on fourth and two against the Colts. You might think he should have punted. I might think it'd be... that is an opinion. And if you're strong about it, go with it. And I think the thing that I know how to do from a radio perspective, I know how to embellish it. Because in, you got to sell your opinion. When you're writing something, you're talking, you got to sell it. You want to convince your audience that your way is the right way. And if you add a little style to it, put a little Hollywood deal in it, it, it adds to the persona of a radio host. And that's what a good radio talk show host does. He knows how to sell what he's trying to in, tell, tell you, and he does it in a way that's got a little Hollywood formula to it. And that makes you, that makes you not forgettable. There's a lot of hosts out there. You can't be, you don't want to be forgettable. You want to be unforgettable. And if you have that Hollywood aspect with strong opinions, that combination go a long way. Really can. When's the first day you woke up in your life and said, I want to talk about sports and, on the radio? You know, I, that's a good question. I think about that a lot. Now, I get a little older. I think sports was my friend because I didn't have any siblings. So when I would walk to school, Split Rock School in Syasa, Long Island, I live a, you know, a quarter of a mile from home, from the school. When I walked to school every day, I talked to myself all the time about sports. And it was almost like sports was my friend. I think that's where that memory comes from. I remember where I was when Gibson beat the Red Sox in 67 in game 7, 7-2. Seven I don't remember the specific game, but I remember riding my little red Schwinn bicycle up and down Split Rock Road listening to the game on my little transistor radio. So I just, you know, uh, I, I kind of, looking back, I always want to be a play-by-play guy a la Scully, and I kind of fell into the talk show realm. So I was able to, I actually got a break there because God was putting me in the right spot because I could go a lot further doing talk shows than I could be doing a play-by-play. So I'm happy that that's the formula I fell into and I didn't really fall into it until I started a career. But looking back on it now, you could tell in the late 60s, early 70s, I had sports as my best friend. And that's where Grant Napier comes in. You know, he had the same thing. So we were, I, I, Phil Taylor. You know, Phil Taylor is very important. You know Phil Taylor, right? Of course. Yeah. Wow. Phil, How was Phil Taylor Phil and I went to school together. I didn't know that. 1972 and 1973. You know, Phil Taylor and I were unbelievably close. And he is a tremendous sports fan. So when you're 13, 14 years of age and you have the Grant Napiers and the Phil Taylors. So Grant Napier now, he's the Sacramento Boys of the Kings, Kings, right? 29 yeah. years. Yeah. And Phil, who was writing, he's writing for the Athletic now, isn't he? Yeah. Right? yeah. Was writing for Sports Series Trade Forever. Phil and I, I can tell you, Phil went to, I went to a boarding school. Phil came up to see. I bought Phil. Oh, we were very, very, kind of lost touch a little bit. Very tight. And he is a great and very bright, tremendous sports fan. So I got him. I'm 12, 13 years of age. And we're talking sports all the time. This is, you know, Enberg and Gowdy and uh, Aldi Regattas, uh, you know, Summerall and Brookshire. That's sports. You know, and we had that at a very young age. And it stuck with me the whole life. Very fortunate. Very fortunate. So, uh... When did you think that you really wanted to do 
radio? Like, did you go to Rollins College and say, I am going to do radio? I thought I was going to be Marv Albert. You know, I went to Rollins and I did the play-by-play of the basketball and the baseball games. They had a small campus radio station. I got there in 1978. So I really thought that I was going to do the play-by-play. It wasn't really until 83 when I graduated from Rollins. I got a job with the Jacksonville Suns baseball team. I went to Hawaii for the winter meetings. And the gob, uh, this is, I was 21, 22. I love that little ballpark in Jacksonville. Oh, they moved. They've redone it. In the oh, old days, there was it? Sam Wolfson Field. It was a mess. Henry Aaron played there, you know. Wow. In the early field. Anyway, yeah. that was my first job. And have I, you been to the new ballpark? I right have not. Next to, no, I have not. It's really a nice. They've done a lot spot. of work. They've done, they put a new yeah. basketball arena. They've done a hell right. of a the heck of a job there. Yeah. But Jacksonville was my first job. I still wanted to be a play-by-play guy, but I left the Suns and I ended up on a radio station, and they gave me every night. It was a dawn to dusk station. I started in March, so it got light late, and I was on the air, 5.30 to 8 every night, and then I did, um, I think it was 11, it was either 8 to 11 or 11 and 2 on Saturdays, and it wasn't until then, this is the fall Where of were 80, you? I was in Jacksonville, in Florida. Jacksonville, yeah. This is the March of 83, and that's when I got away from the play-by-play, where I thought it was going to be a play-by, Marv, Scully, Enberg, I got away from that formula and I went more into the John Sterling talk show you know were you you then yeah or were you raw, practicing raw. to be you no I was me I was me yeah I remember my parents came down and they heard me right away in Jacksonville and they knew right away that I had a chance to be good and the two people who hired me in Jacksonville was a small station 1280 a.m. WEXI and the two people who hired me Wayne Mashburn and Pat Hayes as soon as they gave me, a, you know how it works, your first day of work, the guy leaves who's doing sports talk. He goes to do the NASL Jacksonville team that, tra- that moved to Washington. There's an opening. Yeah. The first day they put me on the air, they said, you know, we got something with this. This guy's got something, got a little style here. Yeah. And that was my first big entry into, now Jacksonville's a tough town. I was in, Lindy Infante was in there, you know. Wow. Who just passed away. Because yeah. the Jacksonville Bulls started. Zonka ran, yeah. John, Zonka ran the a team. Yeah, the yeah. USFL. I was at all those games that, that first yeah. year. And then I ended up in Orlando when the, Ren- when the Renegades got a team. Yeah. So you know who was very important to me in my oh. career? Lee Corso. Wow. Lee Corso. I got fired from Orlando, and Lee Corso took me. I did a talk show with him every Monday nights at Thompson Fish House and Tavern, where we broke down. No, it's Charlie Steakhouse. We broke down the previous week's game. <laughs> we broke down because I did the coaches show with him on yeah. radio. Yeah. And when I got demoted to weekends, Lee took me. Why out. did you get demoted? What did you do? A new uh, GM came in, and he wanted to hire a, a sort of an issue culture show. Yeah. And he moved me out of the talk radio thing, and he gave me the weekend shows. So it was a big demotion. Ocean. This is 85, 86, and Corso was very important to keep my spirits up because yeah. he was coaching the Orlando Renegades. Yeah. And the other guy that was very important was Pat Williams wow. because he came to Orlando to build the magic. Yeah. He was there for two years before there was a team. So all of a sudden, Orlando had a team they wanted to promote, so the GM who was going to get rid of me said, hold on, we can't keep Russo now because we got an NBA team we want to have a relationship with. He's our sports guy. So Pat Williams is important. Wow. You know how it is in radio. Yeah. You have to get these breaks along the way. Yeah. We're not all Peter King who goes to Newsday, no. Cincinnati, Parcells. We're not all that. Now, I got, I'll tell you what. I got incredible breaks. I got incredible breaks because 
the first year I covered the NFL, I'm watching practice with Paul Brown. The coach is Sam Weich. And Sam Weich basically says, because I'm living in the dorm with him for the summer, and he basically says, hey, come by anytime. We'll talk football. So four or five times we sat in his room until midnight, you know, talking football. And the two guys on that team, Boomer Esiason and Chris Collinsworth, there were two phones in the dorm at Wilmington College in 1984. There's 80 players. So after practice, you know, there's a line to use the phone. I had a phone in my room, and a few guys knew that, and Esiason and Collinsworth used to come down and use the phone, and that's how Was that's Esiason how I got the MVP the re- that year in the league? No, that was 88. 88, he was 88, okay. yeah, yeah. Wow, so those two, and then you got the news day. So you yeah. got your need, yeah. and then you had Parcells and a great, yeah. you need these bricks. I got a couple yeah. alone away. So how, how did you first pair with Mike Francesa? How did Mike and the Mad Dog happen? Well, uh, Peter... Uh, Peter uh, Pete Franklin's contracts status had a lot to do with it. Yeah, Pete he's had, a longtime uh, sports talk show host. WWE in Cleveland, who had come to WFAN in its inception in '87. He had one of a, the worst fits in in radio history. He hit it right in the head, and yeah, he, had he a, was terrible. And he wanted a lot of money on a new yeah. renegotiated deal, and FAN didn't give it to him, so that created an opening. Mike was working; he was there before I was. I came in all through the Imus crew, and as a result of that, Mark Mason had that you know thought process in the summer of 89 program director yep yeah. let's put the two of them together so we began in labor you were day 29 years old 29 years old yep. that's pretty amazing i remember Think that i was only 29 years of age and i was working in jacksonville in 84 so five years before that i was doing sports talk in jacksonville florida on a dawn to dusk station 1280 a.m with the boss's son sports talk 8 to 11 in the morning on saturdays <laughs> and during the week and five years later i'm an fan in new york now, FAN wasn't FAN then. It wasn't quite ready to blossom, but still. So I went from that aspect to um, radio. Remember, I, I got to New York because of Rick Scalar. Scalar put Cosell in the air in the early 60s with those things he did in WABC. Yeah. And not, also, don't forget, he promoted the first Beatles trip to Shea in 65. Wow. Scalar was a legendary talk consultant and there was an ad in broadcasting magazine in 87 if you talk like a new york sports fan and do this and do that send tape and resume and i never thought anything of it i was in orlando i sent him a tape john cooper was the interview i did he was coaching arizona state and they were playing the somebody in the uh it may have been ohio state in the rose bowl i sent that in there in an hour of sports talk three weeks later scalar called me from down in Orlando, I was making $18,000 a year. He said, well, if we decide you're the guy, can you, with 54000 be sufficient? And we'll pay for your expenses up here. 18000 to fifty four. I came up in five seconds. I got, I packed all my AMC Gremlin, and I drove to New York, and I was on the air. This is in 87. I was on the air about four or five days later. And you know what the first show I ever did on WFAN? No. Uh, uh, w, uh, uh, MCA, this is at the time. Right. Was when Al Campanis. Oh, he said that on Nightline. On Ted Koppel. Yeah. I, and you know who my big, one of my first big guests was? Harry Edwards. Wow. That's pretty good. So I was, and then two years later, I'm on FAN. So yeah. I went from that level where I was bouncing around, Lee Corso taking out the breakfast, Pat Williams bailing me out with the magic, and three years later, I'm Mike and the Mad Dog, which yeah. wasn't Mike and the Mad Dog really at the time, but the origin of Mike and the Mad Dog. So you I know what lucky. I've, al- I've always thought about that show, the Mike and the Mad Dog show. The reason why it worked, in my opinion, 
A lot of shows, what they do is they say, okay, here are the following 12 headlines that we're going to hit. Okay. You guys might have started off in the day with you have, okay, look, we're going to try to get to all this stuff. But once you got to one thing that made you both really excited and made the callers really excited, you just stopped. Yeah, we, we stayed on you, it. You, you just did that. Right. We stayed and, on it. And that, I think, was really, really smart. And there are going to be some times where if I'm listening to it and you're all excited about, say, the Knicks and some stupid thing the Knicks did, I don't care about the Knicks, so I'm going to turn it off. But 90% of the time, you were excited about something that I found interesting. And so I listened. That, to me, was kind of the secret to your success. I remember Mike, for the folks who do not know this, Mike was very friendly with Peter. Because you did his Sunday show right. and everything yep. else. Yep. I did not know you. This is an 8990. You right. were probably yeah. at Newsday still? Were you at Newsday in No, I just got to SI just in 89. 89. Just, yeah. All right. So I didn't know Peter. And yep. so Peter would come on all the time. Yep. I used to make funny. I used to make funny all the time. America's guest. You know, yeah. I used to call you America's guest. You did because yeah. nobody at the Super Bowl, for instance, and the first big Super Bowl where there was a radio row was the one in Dallas and Buffalo and the Pasadena. Right. That's the first one that I remember where there was. They put us in a little convention of a hotel, and Peter would go on from desk to desk to desk yeah, to desk. I did, yeah. So I called Peter America's guest, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but you came on from the inception. You run. All the time on our show. Yeah. Do you remember that? All the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All the time. I used to like it. It was a lot of fun because both of you were very strident about your opinions, as was I. And I never had a problem uh, going at it with you guys. And usually I wasn't going at it. We were just exchanging information. Opinionated, strong. You know, you have a strong opinion on something. Yeah. And football is big. In the early 90s, the Giants won a championship. Here's the other thing that Peter doesn't remember. I get killed for it. Peter had Buffalo killing the Giants too. In I thought they were going to kill the Giants. I I had a four nine three. I embellished it. Yeah, Peter. Had, I think Peter had the game thirty five seven. I don't know what I had it, but I, you know what I remember about that? I was at the Buffalo uh, Oakland, Oakland game. Oh, they game, killed them fifty one to three. Yeah, and it could have been worse. It sure could have been. And I will never forget leaving there and just saying to myself, because the Giants, remember the Giants go out to San Francisco. How was that that game? Five Matt Barr field goals. Right. That's it. Say that was the, the game. The Buffalo game was the first game and the Giant game yeah, was the second. And game. Sims was hurt. You know, what I, you know what I'll always remember about that week, by the way? You know what I thought was really strange? First of all, the Super Bowl's in Tampa. Right, no week okay? off. No week off. So the Giants get in at about maybe... 7 a.m.? Yeah, whatever time, really. It was earlier than that because they went out to a club that was open until like 4 o'clock. That's right, they did. They came okay. in on Sunday night. Yeah. Right. And so, and, but, but the thing I'll always remember is that on Tuesday of that week... I was at the hotel, and Phil Sims sees me. Now, Phil Sims had been injured six weeks earlier. Right. He got hurt. He hurt his foot. I think he broke his foot against, against the Buffalo. Buffalo Bills. Rainy day. Okay? Yep. At Giant Stadium on a Saturday the afternoon. afternoon right. The late season Saturday, 1230 game. I remember. And he gets hurt. And in those days, it probably lasted until the end of his coaching career. If you were hurt, Parcells treated you like you had a contagious oh, disease. Absolutely. He didn't want you around. So Phil was you at the hotel. Me. You can't yeah. help me. Phil was at the hotel and essentially 
all he all he was doing was just sort of hanging around looking for stuff to do. So I said, hey, you want to go to dinner? Tuesday night, we went to Burns Steakhouse. We spent about three hours just talking about everything under the sun. And he just it was he was really hurt by the whole thing. He wasn't showing it very much. No, but he was hurt him. by the whole thing because him. now he was going to get to play and possibly win a second Super Bowl. And if Bowl. he did, he'd probably be in the Hall of Fame. A very good chance he would be because he had a very good career. But then the game is played and Hostetler is played so great good. The, he played great in the he game. He was so good and I thought the Bills did a bunch of really stupid things. How about, in my opinion anyway, one of the most stupid ones. Eight seconds left in the game. And instead of, you know, throwing the ball to Thurman Thomas and letting him get out of bounds, yeah, they kick the field goal. Seconds, they kicked the field goal. Too they should have run another play. They should have run one more. That's play. another reason why I can't believe you put Marv in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, Marv did not. Well, Marv did not coach. Now the other three, you give him a break because yeah. the other teams are better. That was a that was that a poorly one, coach game. By he the did it. Bills, he was wrapped up with getting spooked by the Giants with the curtains. You know, we had the curtains. Yeah, there I remember prep. that. So, uh, but anyway, that was that's how far Peter and I go back. Yeah, that's 29, yeah. 30 years ago. Yeah. And Peter had the game as badly for Buffalo as almost as I did, I, and that was yeah. a big theme. I didn't think anything of that. So I, I, I want to know just in terms of the staying power. Of that show, right. nineteen years. Right. Why? Uh, we both talk like the New York sports guy. The station was a fifty thousand watt station. Station also had the Giants and the Mets, so you had a sports attachment to it. You had a good Nick team in the mid nineties. You had two. You had a, a Giant championship in ninety. Then you had one a little later on in two thousand and eight. Uh, you had the Yankees dominance on so 96 on with Torrey. Every year they're in the postseason. You had a lot of good teams. Rangers won a cup. You had a lot of good teams. Uh, and, and if you're going to be a good talk show, you have to have good teams to help. And we had good teams. Look at all the championships, Pete. The Giants won two. The Knicks almost did everything but win. The Rangers won one. The Yankees won four. The Mets were good for a while. They had a good run there in 98-99 with Piazza. Um, the Jets had their moments where, you know, they had a good run there with uh, Parcells when he came back. They lost a championship game. In. We had good teams. That's important. We're on a 50,000-watt station. Mike's talking to New York sports. I'm talking to New York sports. I mean, you know, we were the soundtrack to a lot of people's lives and I've learned that since. We were the soundtrack to a lot of people's lives. Kids growing up with their fathers, going to Little League games, Saturday morning this, Saturday morning that. A lot of that connection with the good New York, I mean, the Yankees were huge, 96 to every year for Tory. That has a lot to do with it. We, right place, right time, big station, two New York guys doing it, five hours a day. Who hated you and how did that manifest itself? As far as athletes are concerned? Yeah. You know, I remember I got all over Ronnie Lott once because he hit Art Monk late in a scenario. And I had Art Monk on. Mike and I did a show from the metal, from a jet camp in Hempstead. And I never had Monk on. And I said to Art, what a joke by Lott. Lott comes the next year. And next thing you know, Lott never talks to me because he heard about <laughs> That's one. Mike Milbury never loved this because, you know, Mike Milbury fired Lavalette. With the Islanders. And I never, and I, had, and Milbury came on and says, Mike, how can you fire Lavalette? Who's firing you? Because he had been here a long time. So that's always been a little bit of an issue. You always have, um, so I'm trying to think who else. Uh, you know, Parcells' love-hate relationship, very good as it moved along. George Young was big. You know, we all love George Young. Um, Tory was big. You know, Steinbrenner up and down. Had him on a lot. Up and down. You know, Torborg. Think about this for a minute. 
the Mets are bad. And every day when Torborg managed the Mets for two and a half years, do you know he did a three, came on every day at three o'clock in the afternoon? Not once a week. Every day at 3.05, Torborg came out. And the Mets were terrible. This is when no Vince, Coleman, no Vince Coleman, Brett Saberhagen with a bleach. Yeah. They, and you got Torborg on. So Torborg got to hate us after a while because he tell <laughs> us things before he told his team stuff. You are never going to. So that's where you've been excellent. Nobody hates you. You've made up with Peyton. Belichick, okay. He don't like anybody. We all love Belichick, what he does. Nobody hates you. We, You cannot do sports talk animated noisily and not have some of your enemies creep up along the way. Hey, you ever hear the story when I killed Aaron Crickstein? No. When he lost that match to Connors, you know, he, at the U.S. Open when Connors made this great run in 91. Remember that famous, he was 39 years of age and Connors got the semifinals of the U.S. Open. He beat Crickstein third or fourth round on Labor Day weekend and Crickstein unbelievably did a, t- should never have lost I'm on the following Saturday killing Crickstein. Crickstein's driving up the U.S. Open. Calls on the talk line. Give me a hard time. <laughs> Things like that. Those are the magical moments of talk radio. Yeah. Magical. Yeah. That's what I enjoy most of all. Yeah. When you know you're reaching somebody, that's good. But unlike you, I've accrued some people who would not be a big Christopher Russo well, you fans. Well, be, you'd be surprised. You would be surprised uh Probably the people who walk by me and I give look, you a hard time, and, really. Well, and look through me like I'm not there. Because, oh, really? Yeah, it's over even today. With them. Even today. Oh, yeah. With a great story about Sports Illustrated this past couple weeks. Even today, yeah. when they read that, yeah. Because you came across. I'll tell you, I'm sure Peyton Manning ain't a big fan. You and I have fought about Peyton Manning a thousand times about how great he is historically. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Here's what I believe. Okay, and this is where and and we should have a very quick and violent argument about this right now. And that is that, in my opinion, I think the one thing that I think about you that I find fault with regularly is that you put such a value on championships that, in my opinion, if you put that great a value on championships, then Ted Williams is only good. He's not great. Um, You know, Manning and Favre didn't win enough. And a bunch of Marino, he can't be great because he didn't win enough. Fair, fair point. And in my opinion, Ewing is another I'm one. I'm just, uh, and, and you know, we get in this argument, this Hall of Fame argument, all the time. Like, I'm not a Tom Flores guy for the Hall of Fame. Tom Flores got 97 wins two in Super his Bowls. coaching career yeah. and two Super Bowls. I mean, I whatever he is on the all-time win list, you know, 56. I don't know. To me, he doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. You know, you can be in the right place at the right time, like Tom Flores was, and win two Super Bowls, and I do not deny what a very good job he did. In getting the Raiders to he, win those Super Bowls, especially that second one when they had a, they trained in Oakland and they played in L.A. Yeah, exactly. And you know he's got the quarterback issues. You know it's all it, it, it's it's a it's a diff, that's a difficult task by him. But you got to go to Seattle and you got to do something. I agree. In he did three nothing. years that kills him. I mean that that, that period in Seattle. I mean he needed. It's like George Seifert. Going to Carolina that, that and going one in fifteen yeah, or that's whatever. A good point. And yeah. so that to me, I think. But I in, am tough with that. I want the championships. That's your overall point. Yeah. And and but but I would just ask you this question. So Ted Williams doesn't win. So where does he rank with you like on the all-time great baseball players? You know what Rizzuto used to tell me? What? DiMaggio 
was about winning, and Williams was about hitting. That's a that's a really good point. You know, DiMaggio was more wrapped up in winning, and Ted was more wrapped up about that's a slider one millimeter off the edge of the plate. I'm not swinging at that pitch. Ted, it's three two bottom ninth. You're the best hitter we got. Go the other way. Maybe you can hit the ball over the monster. But Williams is so wrapped up with the disciple and the discipline of hitting that I think sometimes he got a little wrapped up too much in that and maybe not enough wrapped up in you know making sure he does everything he can to help the team win a championship. But I know your Pete's point is is that you know Manning, for instance, now I'll put him somewhere seven or eight all-time at quarterback. Pete will put him higher. I'll put him lower because of the fact that Manning was – under 500 or thereabouts on the road in the the postseason, and he had his bad postseason moments. So I would put him lower than that. Pete would overlook that. He was so prolific during the regular season. Won two championships, albeit the second one was defense, but he won two championships. Chris, how do you put a guy who's got all the records, number seven? That's not fair. And I would come back and scream at Pete, well, Pete, hold on now. How about the Saints game? How about this game? And we'd fight, and you think I'm a little too harsh on particular I wouldn't have him number day. one, but I wouldn't have him number seven. I'd probably have him four I don't or five, know, five maybe. You'd have him out of because, so we're not that far because apart I yet. would have. Here's what I would have. Here's what I'd have. I would have Tom Brady one. I think you have okay? to put him there. I would put Montana Otto, two. No, Otto, I'd Graham? Put Otto Graham two. All right, ten years, seven championships, four passing. Surely titles. used to think that. Yeah. yeah, and then I would probably have Montana three, United four. four, and then you put Manning. Uh, probably, although we would have to have a a discussion about Sammy Baugh. And the reason we'd have to have a discussion about Sammy Baugh is that in 1943, Sammy Baugh led the National Football League in passing, in punting, and as a defensive back, he led the NFL with 11 interceptions. So... I think he had the best single season of a football player in the 98-year history of the NFL. And that, to me, counts for something. Right. I don't know what it counts for exactly, you know, but I always think if we're going to judge, like, I always wonder this, and this, the NFL's coming up on the 100-year anniversary right now. Right, and the you Packers know, and Bears are going to play their game this year as a 100th anniversary game because it's the 100th yes. anniversary of Green Bay yeah. establishing itself as a team. Yeah. But but so here's here's the question: What you do? Like, I would have this because I'm trying to think right now. If I consider the best defensive lineman of all time, okay, and if 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 we just put and I did slide over to vote for him at the end, even though it's tough for me to do so, you know, Terrell Davis as a Hall of Fame player, tricky, had four really great. really oh, good great years. years. Yep. Yeah. What do you do with J.J. Watt? Tricky call. Okay. He's going he's to make the Hall of Fame. Well, he's, he's almost certainly going to make the Hall of Fame, but, but when the NFL chooses its 100-year team, what do you do with J.J. Watt? Who, by the way, there's been two players in NFL history who have uh, been Defensive Player of the Year three times, Lawrence Taylor and J.J. Watt. And I might argue... JJ JJ Watt lost it one year to uh, uh, to Luke Keekley, and that year I voted for Watt. Oh wow! And because I I just thought you want to put you want to put Lot up there 
with the Marchettis, Mean Joe That's Green. That's a question. Bob Lilly. That's you want to put them, Deacon Jones, it's Merlin a tough, Olsen. It's a, it's a really tough thing, and I'll just say this. That's why this year, I think, is really an important year for J.J. Watt. If he... I understand what you're saying. He's probably going to make the Hall of Fame regardless. And he doesn't have a postseason of dominance. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. That's right, because Davis did. But I I think what I would say is that in in the four years that J.J. Watt was truly great... I do I do not think Lawrence Taylor ever played four years in a row where you could say that he's better than J.J. Watt was in his best four years. I'm not saying Watt is better. I'd really have to think about it and go back and microanalyze because I covered Taylor for four years. I'd have to analyze every one of his years. But this is the, the greatness on the defensive side of the ball. And then, you know, because I'm a big Yastrzemski guy. I believe in longevity. And I think longevity is really, really important. You like important. that more important than, uh, you don't think it that is. Yaz is a bit of a compiler? He's a bit of a compiler, but there's something to be said for being very good for a long time. Fair, fair. Very good. I'm not saying Carl Yastrzemski is one of the 10 or 15 best baseball players of all time. I am saying he belongs in the Hall oh, of Fame. I agree with you on that. Yeah. And I think the top 10, if you look at top 10 NFL players outside of quarterbacks all time, I am going to put LT. Number one? Well, no, I'm just going to give you the okay, 10. Okay, all right. Jim Brown. Yeah, that's right. LT. Yeah. I'm going to put Peyton. Walter? Yep. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, Jerry Rice. Yeah. Mean Joe Green. Yeah. You want to put Night Train Lane in there? Probably. Uh, you putting Ronnie Lott in there? Uh, um, it's a safety. You got to put a linebacker in there. There's a million of them. You want to put... Uh, I think you put Butkus in. All right. I probably... Although never was on a good team. But yeah. okay, I agree. How many is that? That's seven. You got to put an offense. You got to put a left How tackle. How about Dion? How about Dion? No. Nope. How about a left tackle? Got to put a... Who's the best left? Yeah, Jim Parker? Anthony Munoz. Jeff Park, Jim Parker or him? I think... Well, the reason I, I might say both of them is because Jim Parker... Was a four-time uh, all-pro, all-pro or pro bowler at both guard and tackle. You got to put one of those two in. Yeah. So you, I almost, I, I think it's fascinating to do that top ten list outside of the quarterbacks. It's a, it's a. I think Rice, LT, Butkus, Mean Joe Green, Peyton, Jim Brown. I don't think you can argue with those six. Would you agree with that? I would agree. Uh, I think those next three or four are tricky. I would agree. I probably probably would put one more Steeler defensive player. Probably. I, I'd either put Jack Lambert or Ray Lewis. I'd put one of those two guys because Ray Lewis was so incredible sideline to sideline. But I think that's a it's a great argument to have. And you can have it. See, Peter folks can do that with the both sports, and that's what makes good sports talk, Yeah, especially on Sirius. Right. Because Sirius, you don't have a hometown team. Yeah. So when you're on Sirius, you have a tendency to go into these lists is too strong, but you have a tendency to go into this area where you, you know, look at historically some of these teams and all the big sports, you know, rank Jordan and LeBron, uh, rank Montana and Unitas, you know, rank, uh, you know, Koufax, Randy Johnson. And you do that a lot. Well, you don't do that on local radio. So when you come to a place like Sirius, your mind has to expand into that area because they're not going to break down Mickey Calloway in the New York Mets on a day in, day out basis. So you got to do it a little differently over here. I got three other quick things. Number Number one, why is it pretty innocent the reason why you and Mike got divorced? 
Yeah, I think Because you is. just wanted to move on. I think so. I, I think it's innocent. You know, 19 years is a long time. Uh, you know, Mike and I had a, we actually, I think it's helped the relationship a little bit. You know, uh, so I, I think it's innocent. I, I think that uh, there was nothing, it was good for the longevity of us. It was going to go be a nasty conclusion if I didn't, or one of us didn't leave. I got the opportunity through Mel Carmerson, a little younger, whatever the reason, to come over here, and I grabbed it. But uh, overall, at the time, it was feisty. I probably should have handled it differently. But I think in the long term, it was the right decision for me and for Mike. Um, can WFAN post you guys together make it long term, especially in drive time? Can I get another Mike and the Mad Dog type of show? Yeah. In this day and age, probably not. You know, you got so many other areas to go to. You know, uh, in our day, what do we have? We didn't have internet. We didn't have, we had four, we had three, a lot of newspapers, but we didn't have a lot of, we didn't have a million talk stations. We didn't have bloggers. We didn't have Sirius. We, 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 it was, you know, it was terrestrial radio was a huge outlet. We, it went from the columnist to the talk show host in that town to now it's so spread out to be heard takes a it's not easy to separate yourself from the pack while in our day and i won't include you with there because you've moved into some other areas but in our day it was easy to make a statement and be the kings of the town i don't think you can do that today as easy so i think it's harder today to become a linchpin for a station newspaper newspaper you can't do it but linchpin for a radio for any media outlet nowadays i think it's very difficult you have a bunch of other interests you're a big history person right and i wonder what do you like about the rest of your life that people don't know that's a good one what do I, you know what? I'll tell you one thing I do like still. I am still pretty athletic. I, I play a lot of tennis. You know, I can go out there and I play plenty of golf. And I'm pretty competitive. So I'm 59 years. I'll be 59 in October. So I can go out there and I can make, you know, I can run, uh, you know, probably a... Could you volley with John McEnroe no, right now? I couldn't do that. But in doubles, if John McEnroe and I play doubles against... Two other people of competent abilities, a guy who matches McEnroe guy, I can play, I could figure out a way to play a good enough doubles game where McEnroe wouldn't be hated. So I can do, I, I can play in a golf tournament where if I need to hit this 170 yard shot in a green, I can do it. So, By the way, does McEnroe love you or hate you? No, he like, oh, John and I are friends. Yeah. John, I mean, he's, you know, he's hard to get, you know, John is so out there with the music and his tennis. He's hard to pin down. I love his brother. Yeah, Mac is a great yeah, guy. Yeah. Whose wife, by the way, is in billions. Did you know I that? I didn't know that. Yes. No. Um, but so that's one, uh, athletically. Two, you know, I'm a good reader. Yeah. You know, I love to read books. Yeah. And I, you know what I'm going to do? You know what I did this week on the air? You'd be into this. I did something on the 50th anniversary of Robert F. Kennedy getting assassinated in I'm LA. Right now, I'm right now reading the Chris Matthews book on Oh, he's Robert got Kennedy. new one out there. Yeah. Larry Ty wrote a good one two years ago on Robert yeah. Kennedy. And that's something, what talk show hosts will get wrapped up on talking about Robert Kennedy's 50th anniversary of his- Do you read uh, much fiction or no? Oh, yeah. I read some fiction. Yeah. Um, you know, I got one for you. I got a good Father's Day book for you. Read a book called Beartown. 
Okay, it's a book about this hockey town in Sweden, this fictitious hockey town in Sweden. I was mesmerized by it. It took me about, I don't know, maybe nine or ten hours to read it, and I read it almost all. Wow, how about that? I would love that. It was very good. Uh, You know, I just read a, um, I read, I tell you about me, went on vacation and went to Granada, Grenada with my wife, February, February 25th to March 3rd. Do you know? In those seven days, I read five books. Wow. And I'm not talking about- What was the best one? I read Tom Yorkie's biography, which is a very good book written by Bill Nolan up there in Boston. I read- uh, Was he a racist? No. He hired racists, but he wasn't. Yeah. Uh, I read the Grissom- So I take it you disapprove- Yeah, I do. Of taking Yorkie way away. I do. I disagree. Um, uh, you know, he hired Pinky Higgins, who was a bad guy. Uh, you know, Eddie Collins. There's a lot of these guys that he hired who ran that team that were bad. But I, I think down deep, he's a he. You know, he raised billions of dollars. I don't like what they did there. To me, it's being politically correct. But forgetting that, five books. I read a John Grissom novel. I read a book about which one, the- Rooster Bar. Yeah, the, the last one he wrote. Yeah, that was pretty that was good. Really a good. Yeah, book, I read yeah. that. I read that one. Yeah. I about the lawyer who was bouncing around in all these cases. Yeah, I read that. I read a book about the Indian reservation in 1920s that somehow in Oklahoma found its way on a bunch of oil, and it was a systematic murder of all the Indians because wow. the the whites. What's wanted, that book? What's it called? Uh, Flower Blossom. We'll have, uh, I'll look that up and I'll give it to you. That okay. just came out very good. That's two. Yorkie, three. I read, jeez, uh, I read uh, two others. I forget the, but I read five books do you, in do seven you, days. Do you read all the books or do you ever do books on tape? No, I read them. You read them, yeah. Okay. I don't do books on tape either. Uh, the the book on Mantle, 1956, Season in the Sun, when he won a Triple Crown. A lot of New York in the mid-50s, Twitch Shore. Good book. Yeah. The book on um, the uh, Tony Castro book, Friendship and Feud, Garrick and Ruth. Wow. Very, and you know, Ruth I didn't know Garrick's that. Wa- very good book. They didn't get along? Not at all. Wow. Ruth, Ruth mocked Garrick's streak. Thought it was, Lou, take a few days off. Who cares about your consecutive game streak? And that meant everything to Lou. Wow. Good, very good book. Um, was Lou, uh, I take it, Lou, and I've never, re- I got to read you know Sandemir's book? book. Keith Hernandez's book. Oh, yeah? Very, that memoir. I love the name oh, of it. Uh, I um, am Ke- Keith Hernandez. He did a great job. And the Sandemir book, Proud of the Yankees, yeah. I had him in studio. Tremendous book. He yeah, did a great job on I that book. I heard about that. Very yeah. good book. Yeah. So I, I love the author. I love doing, the, you know why? The author is into it. He's an easy... In- the Ali book, Jonathan Ng, was yeah. an excellent book. Yeah. You know him? Excellent oh, yeah. book. Yeah. Those kinds of books get the author I love to do. I, You know, you I, haven't written one. I got to Well, you've written them, but I haven't had you anywhere when you've written this great book. You'd enjoy I, that. I, I, I don't know if I can. The Tiger book was great. Every, oh, the Tiger book by uh, Armin Katane and, and Jeff Benedict. I had him in here for an hour and 15 minutes the Monday before the Masters. Wow. Great book. They did I a got great that job. book. I got to read it. Uh, you got to read it. They did a great job on Tiger. So those kinds now, of things that, that was. That was the unvarnished truth about tar- Tiger, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's un, um, uh, you what know, has Tiger said about it? Not a word. Wow. Very good. They did an excellent job on that book. I would yeah. recommend that. Mark Frost wrote two great books. Great writer. He wrote a book on Game 6 on the Reds in 1976, 
and he read a book on Bobby Jones winning the U.S. the Grand Slam in 1930. If you like that kind of history, which yeah. I get, I can't get enough of. Yeah, great, great book. You know what I really had a good time doing this, and we got to end this. What I really had a good time doing is uh, this year after the Super Bowl, I got Doug Peterson, Frank Reich. And Mike Groh, who then was the receivers coach of the Al Philadelphia Eagles, Al Groh's kid. Uh, I got those three guys six days after the Super Bowl to sit down for 90 minutes and to describe in intricate detail about how they invented. This play was not in the, the one, original game plan. The one that... Uh, the, the one that... The, the, the touchdown, the, the touchdown pass to Zach... No, the touchdown pass to Zach Ertz on third and seven oh. from the 12-yard line where he beat Devin McCourty. And remember, he he like fumbles it or, you know, he dives oh, that, into that the play. end zone. right. Yeah. Okay. So, Second half. Yeah. Uh, you know, whatever, four minutes to go, three, whatever it was. So, but but I really like taking one small play or period of time and break it down and totally dissecting it and telling you absolutely everything about that moment in time you know what i'll remember here's one thing and i'll uh, and we'll go so um when lawrence taylor remember when lawrence taylor got suspended for the first four games of the season for drugs yeah okay 1988 or 87 one of those two but he gets suspended i broke the story and Bill Parcells called me. At the time, There's, it's just in the newspaper. It's on the back page of News. You Day. broke that story? I broke the story. Okay. And uh, so Parcells calls me at 6.50 a.m. He calls me and he says, I got to know. How did you know? How did you get this? He was fuming. He was fuming. And he says, you know what? We we haven't even told Taylor, and he didn't even know he was gonna. They were gonna find out on Monday. That's a tremendous job. Harry Car- Harry Carson went to Lawrence Taylor's house, and Lawrence Taylor was hiding under the bed in his bedroom. He didn't. Wow. He didn't even want to come out. And those are the kind of little things that I'll always remember. Those you, are the you little put, tiny details. You got to put that in book form. Yeah. Because that would be. No, I uh, see. I love the history. You know, as you said, I love the history. I and Hernandez, You love the living history, oh, I, right? I, I can't get I'm, oh, really. Did you read the Keith Hernandez book? Oh, I sure not, did. I'm going to have to get it. Oh, he did a great job with it. Yeah. He, uh, yes, I had him on baseball. But, you know, they came the day that the book came out. So I didn't have a copy of it. Yeah. And I put him on baseball two segments with Keith and if I would have done the interview following yeah you would have been able to do it a lot because you know here's something that you know most talk show hosts do not read the book. Oh, of course. Before they put him in. And I, I have a lot of respect. Eddie Erickson's, I make sure I always read I the book. I have a lot of respect for people like at WNYC, Leonard Lopate, and those they, guys. They read the books. They read the books. Have to have them you read know, the books. That's really good read to the do books. that. If you're going to have the guy on, and again, you're going to read the book. Show him the respect to read the book. Yeah. Chris, Hi, Pete. Chris Russo, this I has been you. a lot of fun. Thank you. Keep up Appreciate the good work, it. pal. Appreciate hey, it. Now, here's the question Are we doing the show? Next year. Oh, well, my Tuesdays at you. four? Tuesdays at four. Yeah. Always. Good. I'm allowed good. to do that now that forever? you're best side Forever. Yeah. Can we do it forever? <laughs> what about when I'm 78 years old and you're 76? Can well, we you, still do it? You'll, you'll be still covering football in some capacity. <laughs> and you're going to do these big sequent, these big features now on NBC on the Sunday nights. I'm going right? to do a few of those, yeah. <laughs> Peter King, we love him. All right. Chris Russo, thanks so much. Thanks to my guest, Christopher Russo. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes in this series, such as my conversations with Adam Schefter, Tom Brady, and Bruce Arians. 
You can find these on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. You can also hear the Peter King Podcast on Sirius XM Radio every Saturday morning at 7 Eastern on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 82. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work, and I'll see you next week.